Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a composer, educator, guitarist from New York, New York, Freddie Bryant. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Improv Exchange. I messed up my own title. Today, we have Freddie Bright with us. Sir, thank you for joining us. Thank you, man. Could you please give a short intro about yourself and then we're getting into this? Well, I was born in New York City, 1964. And, you know, I've been, my parents were musicians. Um, Grew up listening to a lot of music. Uh, they were classical musicians, uh, but my mother sang the repertoire of, you know, kind of similar to Paul Robeson, which means uh, it was in seven di- different languages and including uh, spirituals. The only language I understood that she sang was English. <laughs> but so, so I understood she sang some spirituals and she sang some show tunes. Um, but I really started turning pages for my father in, in their concerts when I was six years old. So I was really connected to the music in terms of just the sound of it. Um, so uh, eventually, you know, I started playing the guitar, the piano, and uh, that was my father's instrument. And, and I guess I stayed with the guitar and, and that continued um, to this day. Okay. Uh, Mm-hmm. You're a monster guitarist. Let's make that straight from the jump. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. And where did you get trained at Yale or do you work at Yale? No, 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 no. Uh, kind of. Well, I could say that I part of my training was at Yale. Um, and I do not work at Yale. Uh, you know, the, the, one of the things that's really Im- important to say um, is that I was trained. I had teachers my whole life. But basically, the most important thing is playing by ear. And so um, I, I'll, I'll go through the, the litany of my, my training. I started when I was like three or four years old at this little music school in the Upper West Side. It was in a church. It was called the Bloomingdale House of Music. And um, eventually they raised money and they, they made a a building on 108th street but at that point it was in a church and they taught people how to play the recorder and the and the xylophone and little drums and sing and stuff like that and then piano came um and then guitar at that same school so i i had private guitar lessons for my whole life and then in high school i started to in uh, actually in junior high school i just started to to love jazz and blues and so i started to write some music I don't know if it was anything uh, memorable at that t- at that point, but again, I just started to write using my ears. Um, so I was trained, but using my ears. And then, um, so I had a classical guitar teacher all through high school. And then I told my mother, I said, "Mom, I'm about to graduate high school. I want to be a musician." And she said, "Are you crazy?" Did you not learn anything growing up in this family? <laughs> I mean, and I said, I said, yeah, yeah, I think I want to be a musician. 
And she said, well, you know, it's a hard life. And I said, okay, well, I either want to be that or an actor. And she said, okay, you can be a musician. <laughs> I give she her said, that. She said, but get, but get, get a four-year degree. Get, don't, and don't go to conservatory. And Ooh, so, let's go there, please. Why did so, she say that? So, well, you know, she just she just wanted me to have something to fall back on. You know, no. And, why not a conservatory? Well, because because uh, she she knew what music the music business was about. She said, "I want you to get an education." And for her, who had not gone to college, she wanted me to go to college. So I went to college. You know, and then after I went to college. Five years later, I went to Yale for a conservatory. But uh, I got my four-year degree, and um, she was happy. She said, okay, now do whatever you want to do. And what was it in? <laughs> well, music. It was in music? Okay. <laughs> but but, but, I, but it was a liberal arts school, so I had to take English and science and all these other things that I, you know, that supposedly, you know, hopefully made me a... a, a you know, have a background where I could fall on if I needed to go outside of music. So, and you know, it's it's just, uh, it was, for her, she just wanted me to have a degree. Because sometimes when you have a degree and get have a bachelor's, it doesn't matter whether it's in English or, or music or, or whatever it is, people may possibly, uh, you know, give you... Uh, a chance, you know, because you have a degree, you know, and I, on the other hand, you know, if it's, if it's in, if it's not something that's, um, you know, theoretically usable, you know what I mean? Um, uh, you know, it like, for instance, like going to a trade school, you know, that, that's, that's a, that's a skill and you know, you're going to use that in a particular area. So, you know, um, you know, so it can go both ways. You I'm know, but, pro you know. and con conservatory. That's why. Yeah. I, well, I, you know, I did it after after I got out, and I was already a musician. I mean, I was already playing gigs. Um, I went to classical music conservatory, and that's not my profession. You know, like uh, although I played classical music my whole life, uh, it's it wasn't my. It, you know, I wasn't making my money doing classical gigs, except for a little bit here and there, you know. But uh, I, I really wanted to get back in that under my fingers. And and I guess it was a it was a um, it was you know how fate works sometimes. Um, I had never played jazz on the classical guitar until I went to the conservatory and outside of the school, having nothing to do with the conservatory, I started playing Brazilian jazz on the classical guitar. That was a late question I was going to ask you about. Yeah. And that, that kind of like started, it, it, it connected me musically because I had my jazz in my left hand and classical in my right, my right hand. And I kept them always separate until the Brazilian music brought it together. I was good. I was good. Like I said, I was going to get into that later, but we're there. So first of all, what's your nationality? I am African American. I grew up, uh, you know, uh, I'm mixed. If you talk 21st century. <laughs> what do you identify as? Well, I have always identified as African American. You know, my, my, my parents were, um, 
very progressive. My father was a white Caucasian American, and he unfor- both of them unfortunately have passed. But um, and he was very progressive. He married a black woman in the fifties, you know, and you know uh, it was his second marriage. And you know, I was always told, you know, you know, uh, was it sixteen percent, whatever it is, or even less? You know what I mean? So, so I, I always had, had, um, I mean, you know, we were best friend. I mean, not best friends, but, but uh, he played for Paul Robeson. He, you know, played with Paul Robeson and for Paul Robeson. We went to Paul Robeson's. Uh, funeral in Harlem. I remember that night. It was uh, a really rainy night and we were outside because it was packed. Couldn't get into the church. But I'm just mentioning that in terms of, of um, I was brought up in terms of understanding the struggle of, of America and, and, and uh, having African-American family and having that as part of my culture, I, 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 I drifted. I didn't drift. I, I grew towards that. And my father was totally um, on board with that. You know, later on, you know, when uh, supposedly, <laughs> you know, remember when uh, um, uh, Barack Obama won the presidency, and we were yes. at, at a post-racial. Uh, r- uh, <laughs> Remember that? Remember that? It's like, oh, that's that too much fear mongering in both sides of the media. That's right, too much, right? Okay. Right. But no. But what I'm just saying is, like, you know, now, now, I, I was not raised saying I was, I was mixed. You know, I mean, I, I said I was mixed, but, but like I said, they said you were you know, black, right? Yeah. You, know, you know, so that okay, cool. you know. But anyway, that's where I that's why I grew up with. Um, but right now, I um, I let people identify however they want to identify, and I am mixed. So you know, so there you go. <laughs> okay. So the Brazilian music that you got into, because there are a lot of clips of you doing that online. I must say, it's top tier. <laughs> well, you know, you know the thing is that because I because I'm mixed up. Uh, and, and a lot of times I play Brazilian music. Everybody thinks I'm from Brazil. So, so um, you know, that is, is something that I have fun with because when they come up to me and say, you know, they start talking to me in Portuguese, I, 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 I joke and I say, I'm sorry, I moved here when I was two and my parents wanted me to learn English, so I lost all my Portuguese. And they're like, oh, that's so sad. I'm, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. Um, but sometimes they say, where are you from? I say, I'm from Bahia, you know, and uh, <laughs> no, but I just have fun with it because I love the music so much. And I'm very honored that people will come up to me from Brazil and just assume that I'm Brazilian. Um, and, you know, because to me, that is one of the greatest compliments. You know, it's like, you know, I- I'm not from the culture, but I play the music in a way that makes them feel like I could be from the culture, you know? Even though I try to do something original with it, I, I write my own music with it, you know, it's not like I'm a Brazilian encyclopedia or anything like that. No, I, I think that's literally the jazz and the classical training from the conservatories that actually make you do it that well. Mm. Okay, 
I like I said, I think you're top tier on that also. Now, your album. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Upper West Side Love Story. Now, when you got the grant to do it, did you originally meant to be a chamber jazz ensemble in like a play musical format? Um, no. Um, but I did know it was going to be that instrumentation. So I did know that it was going to be chamber music in that with the three strings and the two horns and then the rhythm section and a singer. So, um, because to get the, uh, grant, you have to, to give them the ensemble first, but you don't have to say what you're going to write. And in the past though, um, I've been trying to get this grant for many, many years. And even one year I was in on the judging panel to approve other people getting the grant. So it's a really hard thing to get. And in the past you would have to, you know, write out, write about your vision for the piece. But during this year, and I think currently, they just want to leave you free to um, come up with something and not be pre- preconceived. Because, you know, creativity comes, you know, if you if you think I'm, you know, you, you think of some idea, and then, you know, two years goes by and you get the grant, it, it might, <laughs> you might be in a different place. So I think it's kind of nice for them to leave it open. But the instrumentation was not open. So, um, and I would have to, uh, un- you know, give credit to COVID for the length of the piece. Because uh, if I had, you know, I had a whole year to really um, delve deep into it. If I had, uh, you know, lived with my normal uh, procrastination writing to the deadline kind of thing, I might have had a, a much shorter piece. Um, but I'm, I don't think I overwrote. I wrote, I wrote uh, you know, to me, it feels balanced with the first half and the second half. And, you know, my, my wife likes to call it a, a jazz opera. And, and my, grand, my, my, my mother-in-law, <laughs> she says, uh, I love your symphony because <laughs> of the strings, I guess. But, um, but to me, it's, uh, it's a song cycle, meaning basically it's got songs about a subject and it just goes from, from one area of the subject to another area of the subject. And there are no characters. I mean, there's a lot of stuff about me. There's a lot of stuff about the neighborhood. I interviewed 22 people or 20 people before I wrote the lyrics. So there are some of their stories in there, too. Okay. That answers another question I had. Okay. So who and how and where did you choose these people to interview? Well, um, one of the things I always try to say is this is not a scientific study of the neighborhood. It's not like um, you will hear this piece and you'll, you know, know everything about the neighborhood. I'm not trying to to do that. Um, and um, there's a whole bunch that is not going to be talked about. It's because it's my from my experience. And um, um, but on the other hand, uh, I did want to talk to people about the neighborhood and and. 
so it was people who I knew. Um, so since it's people who I knew, again, it's very personal and it's not uh, objective. It's subjective because it's like uh, it's connected to me. So um, I, there were friends of the family, uh, older people who were like around my parents' age. So I interviewed them and their kids. Um, a lot of them were actually mixed families. Um, so uh, I got uh, a sense of what it was like for African-American people to move into the neighborhood in the 50s and the 60s um, and what they felt about the neighborhood. And just from those four or five couples uh, that I interviewed and then um, and then there were musicians that I interviewed some are older musicians who were older than me and some were my peers who grew up on the Upper West Side okay question on that okay the whole gentrification theme of the album and a lot of that stuff I just always wanted to know why didn't people who lived there at that time eventually go out and buy property, especially if they saw it happening? And why didn't they buy when like Harlem was a dollar a building? Yeah. Well, you know, um, there were people that bought like, uh, for instance, across the street from me was Betty Allen, who was the um, uh, at the time, the head of the Harlem School of the Arts. My mother taught at the Harlem School of the Arts as a voice teacher, and Betty Allen was an opera singer also. She lived right across the street. And then a few doors down from her was Leontine Price, who was like one of the most famous African-American opera singers besides Marian Anderson. And uh, Well, I mean, there's some younger people, you know, who were um, Jesse Norman and uh, Kathleen Battle. Yeah, who are famous too, but you know, Leontine Price was like royalty. She was on that block. Um, uh, uh, um, Billy Holiday lived on a block. I'm not sure if she owned the building, but she might have owned the building. But anyway, Be Be Betty Carter, uh, Betty, sorry, Betty Allen, she owned that building, and it was a uh, a brownstone. And then they sold it and moved up to Harlem and got another brownstone. Um, so, so there are definitely people who've uh, been able to do that. Now, my family um, was offered an inside price, insider price to buy um, uh, in the co-op, and and uh, but uh, you know I was young at the time, but in, according to to my understanding, as a young person, um, we couldn't afford it. Um, we didn't have the down payment. Still had to have the down payment. And so uh, having a um, rent-controlled apartment, um, my father was also a retirement age. He was a much older father. So my, my mother was basically going to have to take care of these two kids. And my father was making some money, but, you know, he was – he was not making as much money as he was when he was actively working um, like he did when he was in his, you know, 20s to 60. Um, so 
yeah, it was uh, it was a difficult time for them, but because they had the comfort and the stability of having the rent, they didn't buy. So you know you can call it a, a double-edged sword, but um, you know if they had bought, if they could afford to buy, and if you know and get the mortgage, then then we wouldn't be talking we would be talking about a different story at the moment okay you know yeah. just as a person with an economics degree yeah i hate yeah. rent control yeah <laughs> two biggest cities with the most rent control policies is new york and san francisco and which two cities have the highest apartment rentals new york and san francisco uh, apartment rentals you mean like the most uh, they cost the most per month to rent. Oh, yeah. oh, the highest cost for it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those policies when you look at it from an economic point of view. The people who made it had good intentions, but they clearly didn't understand economics. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have. OK, that's one of the reasons why we have those exorbitant high rental prices. Mm-hmm. So I think it did more harm than good. And then you tell me you guys didn't have the down payment. I understand that. That's why you didn't get into that. Yeah, because they were offered at least two times the insider price. I just, you know, but I was in high school or younger. And so it was not like something that I, you know, I didn't know what the down, you know, what their monthly, you know, uh, account looked like. You know, I wasn't in their bank account or anything, you know. But I, I think it was a month to month kind of thing, you know. They paid the bills and they needed to make more money. They paid the bills and they needed to pay, make more money. But, you know, um, on the other hand, uh, you know, I grew up in, in, a, in, a, in an environment that was very middle class. It wasn't like, uh, I mean, even though we didn't have a lot of money, um, you know, they got me scholarships to go to private schools. You know, they 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 had educated, uh, you know, friends and fan and, and uh, you know, kind of a society that was very, very kind of like intellectual. You know, and um, so so I got you know I got I got I got benefits um, in so many different ways, and, and a lot of it was because of the neighborhood. Because the neighborhood had all these amazing people on a lot of them. I mean, I talk about the musicians because I'm talking about it from my perspective. But there were other people as well. You know, like uh, I just remember there's this this African-American police officer who was living next to me. And I didn't realize he was undercover for the whole for most of my high school years. You know, he was undercover. But when when I interviewed him about the neighborhood, yeah, he was he was telling me about that building there was a cracked house and that building over there and I knew all the kids were in that building and and I'd say man you know there was this point that at a certain age they were either going to go right or they're going to go left and I told him if you go left I'm sorry I'm going to have to arrest you <laughs> you know what I'm saying I mean so so there were all different kinds of people on the street, you know, and um, white people, black people, Hispanic people, and 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 uh, you know all, all and I, and one of the things that uh, you know 
I mentioned is there's rich and rich and poor. I mean, next living next door to each other. Okay. You know what I mean? It's just That's like another thing you were yeah. mentioning the dark side of gentrification. Okay, let's go have fun with that part. The homelessness of gentrification, as I think you said it on the album. Well, I, I I mean I didn't say it in those particular words, but I did I did say that that uh, during the time that uh, I was growing up homelessness started to as it did around the whole of the united states started to expand and especially in the neighborhood um although i again i was not an expert because i was just a kid who was in my neighborhood so i didn't have a a, a, a big a, a, a accurate view of everybody's neighborhood i just knew what was going on in my neighborhood understandable I mean? so know, so so there was a lot of homelessness uh, going up. Now, I'm not. I'm also not a sociologist. Sociologist, uh, so I'm not pointing fingers. Uh, uh, but it happened at in this neighborhood, and it's still there, and it's still you know a, a national uh, you okay. know issue. You so. don't live in the neighborhood anymore. Tell the people what part of New York City you're talking about. Oh, sorry. The Upper West Side. Okay. <laughs> so the Upper West Side is uh, is uh, a bunch of neighborhoods that you know, depending on your point of view, goes from 59th Street up to 110th, or maybe up to Columbia mm -hmm. on on Broadway, up which goes up to almost 125th Street on the West Side of that. Um, yeah. So what part of it do you say has the most homelessness right now? Oh, I don't know. No, I, I, I mean, you mean part of that neighborhood? Yeah, that neighborhood that you're thinking of when you were writing this. Oh, well, I don't know. I was talking about it, the the actual piece that actual mentions homelessness is called "His Bed Is a Box." Yes. And and uh, I lived on 86th Street, 87th Street, and um, there were people in that neighborhood <clears throat> who you know who's who were homeless who. Was, have, who you would pass by um, constantly, you, you know. So the the point of the piece is that they're your neighbors. You know, they're not just uh, uh, you know they're they're your neighbors. They're also things that you, they're people you you acknowledge, and sometimes they're people you try not to acknowledge. You know, depending on you know, your mood or depending on the person who you're talking about or depending on, you know, um, the situation. But, but, but to me, it was really important to say that, um, you know, besides the rich people on Riverside Drive and West End Avenue and, and the poor people here and there, you know, there was also homeless people on the street all the way up and down so so i would go i would be uh, walking from my gigs uh on 106th street and broadway down to my place on 87th street and you know there'll be homeless people all over the place i mean that's just the way it is now i i'm not gonna say that uh there's more there than in other in other neighborhoods right no i meant like because the opinion I got from it, and I could be completely wrong, is that gentrification is one of the factors that lead to that. Um, well, um, I can say, oh, there is one lyric that, that talks about people being evicted. 
And um, so, again, it's not a scientific study, um, but uh, when you're evicted, some people um, find new homes. Some people um, get caught in a place that uh, is difficult. And, and so in my mind, um, when I was growing up, I remember being around six years old and, and they were paying people to move out of these, the, you know, these um, tenement homes, you know, and, which are now, you know, very expensive to live in. And, and uh, you know, I just remember my father and my mother saying, you know, they're not paying them enough. They should, you know, because if they give them $1,000, that seems like a lot in 1971 or something like that. But then it's gone. And then, you know, where are you? So, so anyway, uh, again, it's not a scientific, uh, it's not like gentrification equals homelessness. It's just these things are, are part of the neighborhood that I grew up in. Okay. So the diversity of the album, which I will say, you got the samba, Brazilian stuff that we went over. Can you explain the reggae and the Afrobeats? Well, um, yeah. Well, the the Afrobeats I'll start with. That's uh, the one called Kids Rhymes. Now, Kids Rhymes is uh, just a very nostalgic way of looking at my youth play, playing in, in the in the park. That's this very particular playground that was on 87th Street in Columbus. It had it was put together by a non-government organization of volunteers that that uh, took this abandoned lot and put a real fire engine in there, and then a real um, eight-person person um, lifeboat. They got um, a uh, a propeller from a tugboat, which was so big that eight kids could play on it. They they got these little spool things, little, what am I saying? Huge, like six foot tall things that, that you, that where you, they, why are they, they wrap industrial wire, you know, that stuff that's about like an inch. And so that was a play thing on these things. There were these bollards, which are things that you attach like uh, cruise ships to painted as a as a white sailor and a black sailor there was a puerto rican flag there was a puerto rican revolutionary flag i didn't even know until the artist who did the rendition of that um illustration of the playground she did some research and i thought it was a dominican flag but it was a puerto rican revolutionary flag so there was a lot of kind of um influences in this one little playground so um, now, in terms of um, the Afrobeat, um, you know, there's this, there's the tradition of the griot um, storyteller and historian of of West African um, tradition. And so, um, I was trying to tell this story of the kids being, you know, left alone, the parents being at home, saying, "Come back for lunch." you know, and, and just having this kind of, um, independence, uh, to go to the playground and to, to, uh, just live your life, at least on the weekends, you know? So now, um, in telling that story, 
uh, I chose a pentatonic scale that is um, a scale that is very popular in Mali. Now in Mali, I, I happen to play with uh, with um, Salif Keita, who is a, a, a real Ameri uh, like a is a king of Afro pop. Sometimes people call him. That that those are notes G A C D F G da 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 da. So that is a pentatonic scale that is very Mali out. You know, like it, it's in the music of the griots, and so it made sense to have that Afro beat thing in it. Now, if you notice, in the middle of that song, we start to clap, and we use the same pentatonic scale. But we start on a different note, and then it's like 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 I've got sunshine, that yes, kind of I a understand. sound, and yeah. that and so so to me that was bringing Africa and America together. So I started with okay. the with with the with the with the Malian sound, and then in the middle went to America, came back. So that's that's why why I did that. You know what I mean? I really wanted to tell a story, and I and I just said, okay, that's uh, this. These are kinds of these are kinds of things that can help me tell a story. The pentatonic scale, the rhythm that uh, that is there. But of course, it's an original composition, so it's not it's not actual Rio music. You know, it's just influenced by the sound. Now the uh, the reggae thing is uh, was uh, about um, Central Park, and um, of course, during my youth, you know, one of the you know biggest stories and uh, incidences, you know, that that brought Central Park. I mean, it's famous around the world, but of course, um, the Central Park Five and that whole story was such a an important and terrible issue of the time but to me central park was like my haven it was like a place to go to to be free to hang with your friends and to just enjoy life because you know in the in the middle of the you know i mean we that playground i'm talking about only lasted four years and then it turned into another abandoned um, lot and then it became uh, you know a doorman building anyway Central Park stayed Central Park but for those poor you know people who got accused and you know Trump wanted them to be executed anyway that was a huge thing so to me um, using the the reggae feel was uh in in a sense, just kind of pulls up that feel of um, the freedom, and also the as a young person going out to the park to smoke marijuana uh, or or drink beer or whatever it is, and just hang and and go out. You know, that was it was it was trying to put the dichotomy of oh life is beautiful, oh this is a great place next to oh this is a great place this is life nice, is beautiful but for these people it wasn't you know what i mean it was a, it was a place of terror and 
and and tragedy. So, so um, why reggae? Well, just well because because that's the kind of music I was listening to when I was going to the park. Okay. You know, I was listening to Bob Marley and um, you know just uh, and 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 it had such a a sense of for me it had a sense of freedom and 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 uh, you know a sense of life you know okay that's a whole other thing i'm not going down that rabbit hole <laughs> <laughs> anyway okay it's just the thing about the whole thing is like that's what another thing that caught my attention and you were switching from one style to the other style and the pentatonic scale yes i noticed that too but when you brought up the i got rhythm part in there which stands out I was just like, are you trying to fuse the pentatonic scale with straight ahead jazz on top of that? Because when some people do some is theoretical stuff with jazz, I'm just like, do people want to hear that? Oh, I don't know. I'm trying trying to say, you're still talking about uh, kids rhymes? Yeah, kids rhymes. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. So when it goes to the... uh to the pentatonic scale that that is more familiar like the one from um uh from i've got sunshine boom 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 that's not i've got rhythm as i've got sunshine you know like yeah so so that wasn't a jazz thing that was just uh that was more like actually i was really thinking more of of a hand bone you know hand bone like no ham bone it's like when it's body percussion from it's it's, it was very popular in the south you know people would slap their their, clap and slap and and uh, do rhymes and song with with uh with that so that's an african-american tradition like pre-jazz and pre and almost pre-blues you know what i mean so that's where i was going with that um, but, um, but to me, it's not a, it's not a theoretical thing to me. It's a, it's a field thing. Like I said, like a, the start of this whole information, oh, sorry, started this whole in- interview is I said, you know, you can be studied in music, but no matter what you got to learn with your ear. And so that's what I was doing. I was, I was hearing those sounds from Africa and then I know that I wanted to bring it to America because that's what I was an American kid playing in the playgrounds and that's when it switches to that thing when I start to talk about you know do do those rhymes about about you know Grandmaster Flash and uh, you know and things like that you know okay and just a few other things that I saw on your website Mm-hmm. And I definitely have to question this now. So your issues of race and class that you were mentioning on there. And you kind of went into the crime part, but you won't say how that affected just the area. Um, What do you mean? Because you mentioned the police officer and you said the crime that took off in the 70s and 80s until mm-hmm. today. You mentioned your police officer friend that said you could go left or right. Right. So do you think the people who went left caused a good amount of problems that led to gentrification? No, I don't think it led to gentrification. It's just, uh, it was, uh, uh, yeah, no, you know, 
crime doesn't lead to gentrification. <laughs> Again, I'm not a sociologist. Okay, so, forget it. So, but no, no, I'm not forgetting it. But I'm just saying, I'm just trying to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm answering your question, but I'm not trying to say that that I have the answers to these big questions. What I'm saying is that that crime was an issue. Crime is still an issue, especially if you read the Daily News or the or the Post. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but I wouldn't say crime caused gentrification. You know, crime can I mean can do a lot of things. Like it can it can have uh, white flight. You know what I mean. People can leave and then go to the you know. Like, you know, when I was a kid, people would leave, you know, and you'd have the Archie Bunker kind of thing. And they'd go to the, to the, to the, to the, you know, you know, to the, the bur not the boroughs, but the, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm spacing on my, suburbs, yeah, the suburbs and trying to get out of this, the, the inner city. And then all of a sudden, you know, gentrification happens and 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 there's a different kind of a flight you know but i don't think crime is the cause of it it's just there's uh it was just something that was happening at the time you know um so uh i definitely mention it because uh, when people think back sometimes people think I guess one of the songs is called Roses and Rubies. Um, and, and there's another line where, you know, all it's a different song. All you saw was graffiti on walls. Um, basically, you know, um, you can look back to those days and you can look back and see all the crime there. And if you look back and see all the crime, that's all you're thinking of, then you miss the beauty that was there. That's all I was saying in that particular song, that there's there's this crime going on, there's, there's junkies on the street, there's this and that and the other, but there was also beauty there. And so uh, I just wanted to raise that as a subject. Okay. Now, what advice would you give an artist coming up right now? Well, um, you know, it's it's a very different it's a very different business. And how is it different? Uh, mostly because of technology. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think the artists who are coming up now got to give me some advice. <laughs> Uh, you know, like uh, how, how to deal with with the current situation. I mean, I, you know, it sounds it's so banal, but you know, Instagram and Facebook and social media, you know, those are things that have really changed the, you know, and and also streaming music. I mean, it's it's totally different than than when I. You know, before there was internet, and that's what I, you know, I didn't have that until I was already a professional for at least 15 years. So, um, uh, you know, I think the same advice I'd give a professional, an artist coming up now, 
is what I would have given them back then. Okay, because in general, no matter what the case is, you have to have a strong inner um, belief in yourself, and you have to have um, um, a work ethic that keeps you going, and um, because it is a lot of work, whether it is pre-internet or whether it's after internet, you have to still do the work, and to me, be true to yourself um, within the business, you know. So, um, to me, that means, you know, uh, make yourself the best artist you can, uh, really in get inspired by what you can present to the world, and believe in it, <clears throat> and just keep going, keep going keep going now if you want to get a job in the post office or get another job you know what i mean do that um because sometimes we need you need some support you know besides that but in general you know it it's it's a before doesn't matter whether it's the 20th century or the 21st century it can be a lonely business if uh you know if uh, you know, and a tough business, you know what I mean, because so, it's uh, because there's so many people doing it, and because it's hard to make money and all that kind of stuff, you know. So you have to really um, connect with what makes you feel whole as a person, you know, as an artist, you know. Um, I think that's the that's a very kind of spiritual kind of um, you know philosophical way of looking at it you know I, so I it, like I said I'm I'm of a generation that I'm I might not have the best economic advice to give you like this is how you should manage your social media and then you have to do this and you have to do that and you can get ahead better this way and then you can you know um, make you can monetize your 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 stuff Truthfully, this way I don't and that see way any jazz artists making a big impact on social media well you know again they, that that's just kind of similar to pre um social media is like uh the ones you do see somehow cross over into to you know so that their their appeal is a little larger than the jazz world you know but the jazz world itself is small so so um even on a airplane, you know what I mean? There's a couple of, maybe one jazz station. Maybe, if they have one. You know I mean? There are no jazz stations anymore. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so tell me about your show. It says improv. What's the deal? What's the, I mean, when I think of improv, because I'm a, uh, a jazz musician, I think about jazz, but of course it could be comedy. It could be... Well, in theory... Um, it could be open to a lot of stuff. It's just that exactly. a lot of jazz artists in general improvise on their albums. At least mm -hmm. they have an idea when they go into the studio what they're going to do. Right. Mm -hmm. so, and the exchange part is just us exchanging dialogue. But so, so is your show a jazz show? It's primarily a jazz show. And I had some artists that weren't jazz artists. Mm -hmm. And I know them from other stuff, from other gigs. Right. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's mainly a jazz show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what would you what would you um suggest to oh, uh <laughs> That's a whole rant. Okay, okay, let me give you an easy example of this. Okay. I beat up on Downbeat magazine a lot. Mm-hmm. But the truth is Downbeat is the mecca of the jazz world. Like Vogue mm-hmm. is for fashion, okay, mm-hmm. Rolling Stone is for rock, a whole bunch of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They even say you're not a model unless you've been in Vogue. Because right. everyone on social media, which we were talking about, claims they're a model. Right. So exactly. they, and, and everybody on social media complains they're a mu- musician. That's a whole a other musician. thing. Yes. They right? all play an <laughs> instrument. They take four lessons, play six chords. Even I don't even think six chords on the guitar. And they write a song. But uh-huh. that's a whole other thing. It's just that right. jazz artists in general complain that there's nowhere to go to promote their stuff. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they all want a write-up from Downbeat because getting four stars from Downbeat, if you're lucky enough somehow to pull off five stars from Downbeat, actually means something. Mm-hmm. You go talk to most of these artists, none of them have a subscription to Downbeat. Mm-hmm. But they all want a write-up from Downbeat. Right. And then all of them send their albums to Downbeat. Mm-hmm. So obviously they don't have the editors because nobody is subscribing, but they want the publicity from it. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that we do wrong as artists. Mm-hmm. They won't spend $20 for a year subscription, but they have no problem buying the dime bag every day. And mm-hmm. they come up to me and tell me they have no money. Mm-hmm. It's your priorities. Right, right, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's just mm-hmm. one example. Yeah, I don't want yeah. to go to a rant episode because there's some of those <laughs> out there where I just say everything wrong with the jazz world. <laughs> well, cross your fingers. I mean, uh, I, there's going to be uh, an article or at least a review of the city in next month's in the September issue, which comes out in August. So I heard I heard that as a rumor in so. a certain one I just mentioned. <laughs> Downbeat. Yes, yeah, it's, okay. it's something, something like that. So, so look, look out for it, everybody. Look out for it. <laughs> I, I have Downbeat. I read it. I actually think they do a good job. It's just that people complain about the size. Yeah, people don't subscribe to the magazine. People mm-hmm. don't buy albums. A whole bunch of other reasons on top of that. But right. I really don't understand how artists that are in the jazz field that are releasing albums don't have a subscription at the bare minimum. It should be a good percentage of their readers or subscribers or jazz artists. And then also jazz times and jazz is. Yeah, but at the same time, downbeat holds more weight than them. Mm-hmm. Let's call it for what it is. No, I'm being serious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have a subscription to all those magazines. Mm-hmm. Yep. Jazz Wise also I could throw in there. There's a whole bunch of other magazines. They just aren't. I need a write up from downbeat. Right. Mm hmm. Exactly. So that's just one of the issues that every jazz artist could fix to get the wheel going. It's just that a lot of them gotta get high. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So one example of that. Okay, we don't need to go on a whole forty-minute rant of me just saying everything I don't like about the jazz world and jazz artists and all that other stuff. <laughs> yeah. You have any other questions, sir? Wait, wait, wait. You said, oh, oh, that was the example. Yes. I thought you were going to give me another example. Okay, no, but that's cool. I got it, man. I got it. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, that's one example of, uh, you know, what a, what a, what a 
artist or a young person, or not a young person, any artist, any jazz artist could do to help out. Um, and, uh, you know, so like I said, you know, that, 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 that is actually timeless actually, because there was down before social media and now there's down media afterwards, you know, so, um, the truth of the matter back then, that's how you found out about the jazz albums. True. Which is True. why it holds so much weight in all culture. But then at the same time, a great amount of the artists don't subscribe to it. So mm -hmm. if they have a bad year or something, oh, let me put it to you like this in a simple way. And I know, is this gonna, I know people who listen to me all the time are like, you're actually honoring the downbeat, but whatever. If downbeat goes away, how are most of these people gonna promote their albums? <laughs> well, I guess social media, right? <laughs> who on social media that is a jazz artist? Just jazz, not crossover, not pops. We're not talking George Benson or something like that. Actually has a following on social media. Uh, Wynton Marcellus and Ron Carter and, and Emmett Cohen. Emmett came on. Wynton hasn't come on. And Ron Carter, okay. <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, but Emmett's thing is, I mean, Ron has been really working it. He's been working it. I mean, I don't know if he has other people working it for him. Well, but um, if you but, look you at know. just his track record, he was always playing. Yeah. So he, even without social media, had the drive to keep getting the gigs. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I can't say that about him. Then we're going to go to Winton. Winton is literally like on a once in a lifetime talent. Mm -hmm. uh, I know people don't like him. I said it. But the truth of the matter is, who else in the trumpet is actually better or dominant like him? Because he's what he want. That first album came out of what eighty two. Yeah, right when I was in, right was in, like the middle of high school for me. Okay, or right then. And he's you know? been so I was dominating by since, him, like you know, back since then, man. Yeah, head of Lincoln you know, like, Center. I, I was just, I was just thinking, uh, not to change the subject. No, but, go ahead. But I, I really, uh, because I'm getting older, I'm almost 60, you know, um, man, the, the difference of generations is only at least five years. Five to 10 years, correct. I know, yeah. And, and, and he's, he's only four years older than me or three or something like that. You know what I mean? And, um, but he was like coming up and I was just looking at this guy, I was like, wow, he's just doing so much, you know, and, you know, I know he kept putting his foot in his mouth with for different things he said at the time when he was young. Yeah, but that, you that's know. another thing. People like to hate him for what he said when he was like 20, 25. Right, exactly. You know, so, but uh, I still, you know, I was, I thought he was so much older than me or he just, he was because he had been he had lived life you know and i was just coming out you know of trying to you know but on the other hand um i realized at one point that many of the of my idealized figures in my life of music were born five years before to five years after my mother who was born in 1930 now I know there are some who were younger, like uh, Lee Morgan and and um, Tony uh, Williams and and Herbie Hancock. They were born in the the 40s, but um, but those 
I, I just, I, I think, man, simple I way to put it. A lot of artists are out of touch. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was not like the the teenager that was, you know, I in except for with Winton, idealizing like the teenager, you know, because like like those uh, kids that were so into the Beatles when they came to the United States, you know, were not so much young, you know, so much uh, younger than the Beatles. They 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 idealized with them because they were like. They thought they were like from the same generation or something like uh, that. A huge you know? disadvantage instrumentalists have is that it takes so long to actually master your craft. Mm-hmm. And by mm-hmm. the time you master the craft, unless you're like Winton, or you just that good at 20, mm-hmm. you lost your generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the gap gets bigger that you're out of touch. Mm-hmm. True, true, true. Like if you listen to any of the pop songs in the media right now, you probably would shake your head if you knew what was actually hip with the high schoolers. <laughs> I don't know if you have any kids or any nieces or nephews and you ask them questions like that, but some of the stuff they're saying and some of the beats and stuff, I'm just like, yeah, that's too much for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's funny how it, how it, how it goes like that. But, um, but I thought that was interesting because... If, you know, you I, I actually wrote the names of the people like, for instance, I, I had people who were younger than me that I idealized like like they were in only in their 30s and they're only in their 40s. But I thought they were like 50 and 60. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and um, and then some of them died much younger than me. Like who were my mentors? You know what I mean? Um, like. uh um, we'll say Carter, yeah. Carter Jefferson, Carter Jefferson. Okay. He, he came to he played with Woody Shaw and 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 he he came up to play with my college band when I was a sophomore in high school. I mean, college, excuse me. And then um, Dennis Irwin, of course, he he died in around 58 or 57. And I'm 58 now. And then Carter Bob Jefferson, Belton. I believe, was in his 40s when he died. Yes. Exactly. OK, so exactly. The thing man. about that is health issues, his actual lifestyle on the road, a whole bunch of stuff. But what I'm saying is like he captured his generation. A lot of us don't. Mm -hmm. Samara Joy might be able to capture her generation. Correct. Since he Mm -hmm. won something like that at such an age. Mm -hmm. Esperanza, I don't think really caught it. Mm -hmm. Love her. I think she's more than a talent, but those are just two examples within the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. Even if I want to throw Noah Jones in there, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. did she really capture it? Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I, uh, I know that there are people who grew up at the time Noah Jones came up and they they're going to remember that for their their you know for their lives but it's the, but it's not every it's not the whole society who is that age you know okay I mean? so, so you want like <laughs> a legit mainstream guy like a drake well yeah I'm or saying, taylor swift you know that's I mean, really that's, not fair to bring the compare no, those to that, jazz yeah you know so that's what i'm saying it's not the same thing but you know to me I uh, realized that I didn't capture my generation and and uh, I was really looking back 
into older styles of music from when I was really young. So uh, that is just something that, you know, and, and I remember just going off and then not being interested in what was current. Um, That's another problem we have, you know, so so but but it was it was a personal and it wasn't a problem to me. And, you know, it, it can be a problem, but but it was just life. And it was my it, it was it was like I like these particular flowers and not those flowers. You know, what I'm no, saying? I, you know, so so it wasn't a problem. To me, But but the thing is, it was just uh, something that I noticed. So. So, I, I mean, I think. Uh, um, well, well, I lost my train of thought. It's but cool. I, but I, I'll, 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 I might remember it. <laughs> honestly, though, I think that was the best part of the interview <laughs> of so far. What you just said there and all that stuff. A lot of us really do fall in love with the past. Right, right. You didn't mention that on your album, which is true. <laughs> but let's use Papa well, was I mean, a Rolling Stone, okay? The Temptations. Right, right. That came out in 1972. That was the song when my father was a kid growing up mm -hmm. and everything. No one's going to dance in a club if they play that now. They might sing the words, but it's not like that song. The only mm -hmm. problem is that came out in 1972. When did it kind of blue come out? In the 50s. Mm -hmm. You get what I'm saying here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Why we live in on and out. Don't get me wrong. Love the album, but that was over 70 years ago, people. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? That's one of the problems that we're still facing. And... I know people like to say the whole Winton Miles situation. What is jazz? Because people, he was saying, I believe Miles was a rock star. I think Miles Davis played in crowds much bigger than Winton ever did. Mm -hmm. And he had a younger group of people. So one mm -hmm. of his last albums when he had Human Nature on there mm -hmm. and uh, Time After Time on there. Right. Those were pop songs of the time that people in that generation could relate to. Right. And just us as a jazz community, that's something that we disembodied and disowned when a smooth artist, jazz artist, tries to do something like that. Mm -hmm, we are mm -hmm. so quick to slap, that's not jazz on it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's just isolation. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I don't like the music or love the music. Clearly, I do an episode a week, but problems like that is what leads to a downfall. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's a downfall. What I was, what I think it is, is just uh, you know, um, you know, if you want to look at it in a big brush strokes, you know, then you can consider it a problem. But for me, it's just an individual thing, and I, and it's, it's like. Uh, I, I have no problems with liking older music and and uh, hearing older music and you know like uh, Bach is not dead but Bach is not uh, current either so every okay. once in a while every once I'm actually going to keep this episode going just because of this we literally <laughs> a few episodes ago had an organist on and I flat out told him what, what kind of an organist. <laughs> He's a straight-ahead organist, okay? 
Okay, you play Hammond, with Hammond, Hammond kind of thing. Yes, a B thirty. Okay, not okay. not not a not a pipe organ from the Catholic Church. Well, that's a we talked about that too. Okay, <laughs> try not to drop his name, but it's a very recent episode. Okay, and the thing about that is, like, I asked him point blank. I think it's going to be a dead instrument by the time I'm your age. I don't go to a jam session and hear B three. I don't really see young people playing the B three. A lot of stuff I fear by the time I get to my 60s, assuming I live that long, is going to be an obsolete instrument. Well, I mean, uh, I heard uh, who, who did Kanye say he didn't like guitar solos? Who? <laughs> Kanye. Kanye West? Yeah, I think he said he didn't like guitar solos. <laughs> on albums or on real things? Well, you know what? At, at, at all but anyway um, that's just that's just hearsay someone told me i didn't hear him say it no no that's but, cool um, but, but for a but, second you know, let's like, assume that's for, real for the, let, let, yeah no even if it's not kanye the point is like the guitar is not the what it was it's not what it was people don't just pick it up and learn it it's not days. like it's not like well it was the 80s or the 70s where everyone wanted to hear the guitar solo yeah, you know, like the Bon Jovi solo or oh, this yeah. solo or that solo, you know, like on like on Michael Jackson's records, they would have, you know, guitar solos. Yeah, on okay, so like that. we're just now, assuming now Kanye, kinda, that is a Kanye so maybe, statement. Maybe in the, in the, maybe in the, in, in the <laughs> maybe the guitar, well, I know the guitar is going down in terms of that because people are not learning instruments as much, you know what I mean? So there's electronic music. But why would you want to learn an instrument now? Exactly. So, I mean, no, no, seriously. I, if I say I want to be a rapper, that's a week and I have an album. Well, you got talent. I mean, that's a whole other thing. I just saying I can make an album Mm -hmm. in a week. I write down some words. I just make a beat on an auto generator. I have an album. I have a song. I'm sure you can go deeper than that in terms of like. Uh, I mean, like, that's a whole uh, other thing. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what I mean by what, assuming that's what Kanye said. Mm-hmm. I don't know a single jazz artist who sold more albums than Kanye. So shouldn't we listen to what Kanye's saying? Well, I am. That's why I po- brought. So I brought it up. <laughs> no, no, no. I know. I know that. I'm just saying in general. You know, and I was pointing out that that you know in general. You know, the guitar is not as popular. And you were saying the organ, the B3 yes. is not as popular. Now, that has been true from earlier, too. Yes. You know what I mean? Because so. there weren't many, rec- weren't many. you know, besides the, the so-called Chitlin circuit and, and uptown clubs that would have an organ, you know, there weren't many downtown and there weren't, you know, so... So automatically it was uh, it was already like that. But But the thing is, when there's some beauty in something... Um, things don't die, you know, they just get smaller and, and, um, and, and, uh, smaller leads to death. No, no, smaller doesn't. Smaller okay. okay. Hold, give me out. Give me out. Hold on. Okay. Hold, one, sec, one sec. Let me just say, uh, <laughs> you know, smaller can also lead to beauty and, and, uh, for instance, something that is rare can be discovered by somebody and, it can change their life, you know, because of its rarity and its beauty. 
Okay. And so, 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 I mean, the, you know, just, just mass appeal is I not the, agree the thing with gonna, that. However, yeah, yeah. how's that going to get our best artists in our generation playing that music? If there's no money in it and you sell it out, Birdland. Love Birdland, but Birdland holds 200 people. Beyonce just performed in Giants, I mean, MetLife Stadium. I'm sorry to change the name, everybody, when they rebuilt <laughs> it. And I think there were 70,000 people. Yeah, man, that's too small for Taylor Swift, though, man. Hey, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so if Beyonce was given a performance for 200 people, she is making $10 million at least or, yeah, yeah she hit yeah, rock yeah. bottom. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how yeah, I no. look at it. So, mm-hmm. and then I even give you another joke on it. I had a female friend, love her to death. She's like, I got to be careful what I say on dates because when I say I like jazz, trying to be sophisticated and stuff, they take me to a jazz club. Do you and? get what I'm saying? And she doesn't want to be there. She's just saying that to sound special. Oh, so she was. She's not. She's not being honest that she likes jazz. Yes, but you know, it's supposedly an intellect thing or intellectual thing to say that oh, you like oh, jazz. Oh, so she she really only did it to just not get the date be, with the guy. That's pretty oh, much wow. what I'm saying. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, she should just be honest. I mean, that's a whole. <laughs> You that's know, a whole other thing hero. but yes yeah. mm-hmm. all i'm saying is that well you know like there's yeah. there's so much so much beauty in the world uh you know that is not uh mass uh, appeal like like for instance cultural music which is is music if if i wanted to define that right now i'm saying cultural music is music that is in the culture for hundreds of years you know like yes like uh yeah, I mean, there's so many examples of it. And of course, even though we think it's a hundred of years old art, maybe a thousands of years with the tradition, it still changes. You know, I mean, there's still a new person coming up and playing the sitar, you know what I mean, who might do something different, like, you know, Ravi Shankar or somebody else, you know what I mean, who might meet the Beatles or who might meet a jazz person like John McLaughlin or, you know what I mean? So, you know, these kinds of things are... are um, the jazz you know, world's been waiting for their savior forever. Well, that, I'm not that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not, well, I'm not talking about a savior. I'm, I'm just talking about beautiful things that can happen with things that are not... Uh, old i mean that that are old that, you're right that, that are, but you know what i mean so there are so people that, who have done stuff like that crossed yeah. over and everything and the jazz community shunned them well uh, that's what i'm yeah. trying to say there are yeah. tons of examples i could give on that yeah and there's also tons that two of them were guests love you know <laughs> i'm like how does one guy have a pop 40 a top 40 on the billboard charts on the pop and hot charts and the jazz community doesn't Embrace the guy. And it's clearly a swing song. Well, I mean, you know, I, I'd i need names and, and, and numbers on that one to... to, to uh, uh, Steve to, Perry, uh, Cherry Poppin' Daddies, mm-hmm. late 90s, mm-hmm. well over a million albums sold. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's one. 
but 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 I was talking about uh, like uh, so so you're talking about I was talking about older musics being but like that's you the, know the older music you know, is the as, past. No, but, but I'm saying that there's the there's the yes, but the past is what is in us as well. You know what I mean? So so to embrace that and to find the beauty in that whether it's uh, authentic older music or music that has older music that's been changed or you know uh, or fused with other kinds of music there's there's for me there's no there's no limit to it and and uh, you know you know the the beauty of um, a Hammond B3 will always be there and you know it's not gonna be uh you know a pop thing you know but it's gonna be something that people can connect with and it depends I, on no, who's playing i, I you agree know what I, mean? I agree on that and what like, you play on it you know what i mean so okay, i mean so it's like uh when you go you know, but, mm-hmm. on percentage of people who actually go out the concerts and everything you got the people who are i would say 18 to 30 of course, they're the majority, but they don't have the money to go to big concerts. That's another reason why festivals got big again. You got the people who are 55 and older, who are retired, or they have a good amount of net worth. Do they have the energy to go out like that or that often? But they could afford a $300 ticket. Okay. And then you have the middle tier people. I want to say 30 to 55. They have other life journeys. They got their student loans. They got a fiance or, or a house payment or a kid. They got kids, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's the biggest, I don't want to say waste of money, but it's not a waste of money, but that's a kid will eat your income. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is like, you have to focus on a lot of times the younger group, the 18 to 30 or the 55 and above. Mm-hmm. Because the people who are 30 to 55 have other priorities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's when I'm talking about you miss your generation. Mm-hmm. And that's another reason why you see artists that are older say, I'm just making it. Mm-hmm. It's just pure numbers that the people coming to your concert are older and are afford to go out, but they can't afford to, they don't have the energy to go out as often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, that's why I said, you know, my my advice to the to the musicians is just, uh, you know, I'm not going to give them advice uh, that is going to be, uh, you know, everybody has their own path. So I'm I'm not going to be the person that gives them the advice on how to make money. I'm going to give them advice on how to stay a creative person, keep um, on the path uh, as long as they need to be on the path. Otherwise, you know, you know, it's fine to, it's fine to go off the path, but keep your love of the music. Okay. I give you that. <laughs> well, uh-huh. Sir, we were not no longer than normal. <laughs> okay, well, man, my engineer is gonna kill me, but well, whatever. Well, anyway, I, I would just say uh, I'm honored that you had me longer than normal because 
I think from coming from you, that's uh, that's uh, that's a compliment. I appreciate it. No, I did enjoy it, especially the last part. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Can you tell the people your website, where to find your album, your social media, all that stuff? Sure, sure. Um, my name is Freddie Bryant. F R E D D I E. No Y. There's a Y in Bryant though. Freddie Bryant. <laughs> okay. And um, uh, FreddieBryant.com is my website. But the one that's more interesting pertaining to today's interview is UpperWestSideLoveStory.com. It has all the information about this piece. It has all the lyrics. It has notes about the lyrics and uh, artist bios and all the information about the new piece, the new CD called Upper West Side Love Story. So I hope you can, you know, at least stream it. Um, you know, if you have a membership to uh, Spotify or Apple Music or or Apple or or um, Amazon Music, stream it. Uh, I don't know if I'll make any money on that, but it doesn't matter. I just want you to hear the music. And um, you know, th- we talked about the story of gentrification, but the piece is itself uh, 16 different songs that are totally. I hope. Uh, interesting and fun for people to listen to, regardless of the big of the big picture of this of the whole thing. You don't have to listen to the whole 92 minutes <laughs> straight through. You know, just one song. I th- I think you'll enjoy it because Carla Cook is an amazing singer. Uh, she's from Detroit. She teaches at at uh, Juilliard and uh, is amazing. And one of her high school buddies, Regina Carter, is on violin. She was a 2023 NEA Jazz Master and has uh, won uh, numerous awards. Donnie McCaslin, Grammy nominated, accepted in uh, the nomination uh, for the, the, the Grammy for David Bowie, posthumously. Steve Wilson, another incredible saxophone player and flute player. So these are, these people are really great. I just hope you enjoy the music, and thank you for having me on your show, man. Well, Appreciate thank you, it. sir, for coming on. And everyone, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. Thank you. Have a good night. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.